everybody. Welcome back to the Role Player Podcast. After a small hiatus this past couple weeks, still presented to you by the good folks over at Swiss Cultures and Eurohoops.net. You can check us out on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere you get your podcast. Also, be sure to throw us a follow on YouTube at Swiss Cultures and on IG at the Role Player Media. That's also on Twitter at the Role Player Media as well. I am Jordan Taylor, 11 year pro, EuroLeague vet. Still rolling with the multi-talented Stanford gentleman, retired 11-year pro and Switch Cultures co-founder, the Anthony Goods. Man, it's been a minute since we checked in. Hairline still fresh over there. You've been touching every city in the world. My, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it is what it is right now. It is what it is. Hey yeah. man, I see you got a you got a little fadeaway going in that left corner. <laughs> I see the fadeaway in the left <laughs> corner. You better be careful. Yeah, that's, that's my that's, that's my that's my 90, my ninety six Jordan. I'm getting a little old. When I'm about to I'm about to. It's graceful though. It's graceful. You know what I'm saying? I'm coming back from practice. I ain't have time to get my brush. You know what I'm saying? So we had uh we had to rush it, man. But look. Listen, we got a we got a really good guest, man, a friend of the pod. He's been here before, but he agreed to come back with us one more time with the new and improved format. This man was the first round was a first round pick in 2015 to the Houston Rockets. He spent five years in the NBA with the Clippers, Cavs, Wizards, and the Rockets, and now has been overseas the past four years, five years? Is it been five? Four years. Three uh, three and a half. Three and a half. Four. Spent time in yeah, yeah locomotive Cuba uh Cuban. Uh, Basashir in Turkey and now with the London Lions. He's a FIBA Euro Cup champion, two-time All-Big Ten selection, Big Ten All-Freshman team, and a first-team parade All-American, and also Wisconsin's Mr. Basketball also took Wisconsin to two Final Fours back in the day. We got the one and only Sam Decker. Sam, what's happening, man? Appreciate you joining us. What's going on? Good to be back. Always fun chatting up hoops and talking about the, the basketball in a global sense. Yeah, you you might be the first guest. I don't know if you can really partake in the hairline conversation with us. I know you'd like to. Your your beard is lined up nice though, so I'm saying you might be you might be uh, out. people going to give us hell cuz it's February and you might be the first white guest in a while. So it's uh, that's all right, man. We we we, we, we glad to have you here, man. We were just talking about before you got on. What what inspired you to grow the beard? Cuz obviously in college, you know, you was a baby face and I think your first year in the league or whatever. So what inspired you to grow the beard, man? It was just growing up. Uh, yeah, I started growing my beard my fourth year in the league. I'd just gotten traded from Cleveland to D.C., and I didn't have all my stuff. I just, you know, you kind of pack a bag and go. And um, left behind was, like, stuff I shave with and whatever. And I, uh, we had, like, a 10-day road trip right away, and it kind of got, like, scruffy. And my wife was like, oh, it looks actually kind of nice. So then I was just like, you know whatever let's just keep it going and I never went and bought a razor or anything and um, I actually got decently long that year and um, her and her mom both were like keep the beard that's you know you're a beard guy for sure so um, since then I've been mostly a beard guy but it's funny when we look back at pictures and stuff like the picture over here from our wedding it's like I look like I'm like that's not me I look like a completely different person but um, I feel like if you can pull a beard off don't get rid of it so that's kind of where I'm at that's, that's that's good. That's good advice. Mom's coming through on that, man. But like I said, we're glad to have you. We're going to jump right into it, man. Obviously, as we said, you drafted first-round pick. You spent the last few years. So let's take, that'll take us into our Around the World segment. And you have spent this season in London, uh, 
leading the London Lions to their first ever playoff berth uh, in Euro Cup by a British basketball team. So congratulations on that. Obviously, as your teammate, I've been, been happy to play a small part in that. Uh, Congrats but, to you as well. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. But obviously, you've been there the whole time. So, um, but man, tell us, tell us why uh, why you chose London and kind of for for those that don't know, the London Lions are somewhat of a kind of a startup culture in the European basketball scene, um, looking to get to Euro League, looking to make ways grow grow the British league in general. So for you, what went into the move to choose London instead of potentially maybe a more lucrative offer in, you know, whether it was Asia or other parts of the world? It was definitely a leap of faith, right? Um, Getting the calls and stuff this summer. I was getting offers and entertaining stuff, but nothing that really made me like, this is where I need to be, this is where I want to go. And uh, when Brett Berman, our GM, called me and had a conversation with him, also a former Wisconsin grad and um, guy that's been around the world, the NBA, D-League, European, um, just a guy you could talk to as a GM and had a vision for what he wanted to build and almost made it sound like the anti-Europe, right, for an American, just coming in in almost a player program, um, having like a full player development staff and, um, you know, we're going to go about each day the way that is going to be best for the players and uh, Sam, we want you to be, you know, a leader and a catalyst to grow the game in in, in the UK. And um, the way they wanted to use me was a, a way that a team had never approached me on using me. You know, they're like, we want you to be the guy. We want you to be, um, you know, unlock a lot of stuff that you haven't been able to, you know, that I've had to keep in the garage. You know, and they're just like, we want you to just be able to unleash whatever you have. So. Um, you know, when the London Lions rumors started getting floating around, everyone's like, that's such a joke. Like, the Lions weren't respected. They've never done anything. And when I signed, people were like, oh, like, good luck. They're going to go 0 and 18 in Euro Cup, and it's going to be just a money grab. And um, I think the, the roster they put together and the way we've constructed it and the way we've kind of gone about it being the new guy has been super fun for all of us, as you can attest to. And um, we play a fun style. We have a, co- a, a schedule that, that is good for us, probably one of the best you've been around as a pro in Europe. So um, everything about it has been A1, and um, it's a place that I've loved to be, and I've, uh, you know, I, I would entertain even staying because it's just a great place to be and a great place to have our family. Yeah, I think it's like one of those – it's definitely – one of those rare things when you're able to be on a team, especially overseas, and you trust management, you know, and you trust coaches. And I think that as a player, it's uh, it makes playing a lot easier, you know, especially because, I mean, season's full of ups and downs. And, uh, you know, definitely when things are not going the greatest, you know, it's good to know that, okay, the communication between you know, management or the coaches, you know, is is what you think it is as opposed to, you know, in Europe, you know, you, you lose a couple of games, he's on that phone, he's smiling in your face, but, you know, you, you just, everything's a little uneasy, you know what I'm saying, in, in most situations across the waters. It's such a breath of fresh air, like, as Jordan could even, we have a open-door policy here. Mm. You know, we can we can talk about what we're feeling, what we like what we dislike and not feel like the coach or an assistant or someone is going to go behind our back to the GM and be like, this guy sucks, you know, like, let's get rid of him. Like, 
Like I can I can air out what I need to air out and know that we have 15 guys on our team that speak the same language that can you know agree on things and disagree at times and get through it together and I think that's such a good thing about a culture you know it's player driven um, with coaching staff that is also cool with us being ourselves keeping us in check but letting us be ourselves I think you get the best out of your players that way and you can see top top to bottom guys that are flourishing because of it and I think that's a testament to the, the way our staff has gone about it and I think some more teams in Europe are going to take that route. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be interesting. That's a that's a good kind of segue. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how you know. And I think Paris basketball has somewhat of the, a similar approach, right? And they're also doing well in Euro Cup. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how this has a ripple effect throughout throughout Europe, um, and if it will stick or not. Me personally, I I hope it does because, like Sam said, just the and I think I think those conversations are going to happen regardless, you know, like a big shout out to like Ryan Schmidt, our coach and Brett Berman, the GM, um, you know, they're they're doing their job. They're always looking to improve, obviously. But, you know, I think they I've never had a GM call my phone and tell me exactly what my role is going to be like and just be like, this is what I need you to do. This is what you're going to do from day one and not deviate from that. And. I, I don't know if you've had that goods in Europe, but I, I can't recall a situation where it's just that mm-hmm. blunt and straight to the point. Um, right. And the only other, as far as living situation that even compares to London is is Israel. Um, so just just the culture that they're building, it's you know the work gets put in, lose, win, or draw. The work is going to get put in, and you're expected to show up and do your job. And, and the attitude um, doesn't really change from the from the coaching staff. Um, which is, I, I don't know how, Sam, you can attest to this, I don't know how Ryan does that, like, because even as players, like, we lose a game and, you know, we're, we're frustrated, you know, he's back in the gym, you know, same energy, like, positive, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get the, uh, critiquing, but also trying to get the best out of all of us, so, yeah, for me, especially at 33, it is a, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air, so. For sure, I, and, yeah, it's like, what, how do you go, <laughs> in Europe with wins and losses like you can really lose a locker room early when you lose games and I'll be back in the morning you're gonna run and then it just turns into grumbling and that's the thing here we've lost games that we shouldn't lose at times especially in Euro Cup and yeah coach gets pissed well coach doesn't get pissed but the next day he's you know greeting you at practice you know and we're back to our stuff we don't you know I don't go into practice thinking yeah it might be a hard film session we might hear things we don't want to hear but then it, he doesn't overdo it and then that's the biggest thing for me here is like I'm not going to work stressed and mm-hmm. coming home stressed like I'm able to go to work and know this is what we're going to do this is my role this is my job and I'm going to be able to be me and um, having that in an, in an overseas situation has been a breath of fresh air Yep, and they, I mean, they encourage things like this, you know, obviously my podcast or other places, I know, you know, they kind of frown on things like this from players. So it's, uh, again, that's, that's just things that are that are positive. But for you, as someone who's kind of the, the, um, the face of the London Lions right now, especially on the American side, what, uh, what does it mean to be building a basketball culture in London, a place that is known for f- football or soccer and, and rugby? It's cool. It's it's something I didn't really grasp at first because I never didn't spend much time in the UK in my life. And 
when we got here, I realized how little basketball culture there was. Yeah. Um, like, finding a court for practice in August was, like, difficult. And just the infrastructure's not there. Um, the government spending on sports like soccer and rugby exceed basketball by, like, something like 85%. Like, you know, just there's just no way to build up the sport. So to be kind of tasked with helping youth basketball grow here has been cool. I think our marketing team has been amazing in getting out in the communities and they've gone to different areas and making London Lions court, you know, ba- outdoor basketball courts pavement with good hoops and, you know, supplying different youth programs, tickets to games and jerseys and, and basketballs and like little things like that. Early in the year, we were having maybe a thousand people at games and now we're selling out regular season Thursday night games against a bottom tier BBL team. And now like to see that and it's like kids returning with their families and I have people, you know, coming to games and saying like, we can't get enough. My son can't get enough. He just wants to play basketball. Do you have any idea on a basketball academy for my son? Like hearing that is cool. So seeing that there's now a, a thirst or a hunger for the sport has been awesome. And to think, you know, Tyler Ennis, who's in Turkey, um, told me the other day he's like it's such a it's got to be kind of a cool thing and you got to think about like at some point these kids are going to grow up and play ball somewhere and they're going to be like someone's going to ask them how they got into basketball and they're going to say yeah when I was eight I went to a London Lions game and this guy Sam Decker was out there and he said hi to me and like to be a guy like that it feels cool um and if I could be a memory or a reason that basketball gets uh, bigger in someone's household that's uh you know that's half the battle right there Will you or will you not be insulted when someone calls you John Havlicek of the British Basketball League? I mean, John Havlicek's a pretty, uh, you know pretty what I'm saying? Name, but, you right? know, by, by, you know, 30 years from now, people are going to be dunking with they left, you know what I'm saying? Be dunking all crazy. They're going to make us look super, super unathletic. <laughs> and John Havlicek going to be like, it might, you know what I'm saying? It might be so. You, you know how people talk. They talk about John Havlicek like he couldn't hoop. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Could I not hoop? All right, here you go. See, you don't want to just answer the damn question. You know, let's move no, on. I, I would love. I, I would love to be. No, I would love to to have. You know, if if there's a point where there are teams or the BBL itself is a league that Americans and other great pros across the globe want to come and play, and if it gets to the point where they, you know, we know the vision they have. But if it gets to that point where we have Euroleague teams or the BBL itself is the standalone league, I think, yeah, I would be proud of if they were like, yeah, Sam Decker helped or that Lions team in 2023 like really was like the start of this. If like we're mentioned for that and and are a part of UK history for a sport that's growing here, yeah, that'd be sick. That'd be awesome. And uh, I think I take that pretty personally as well. And, um, you know, I, I... yeah, I take it as a task you know, to be a good representative of that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh it's really cool that the London Lions are in this growth stage and they don't have like the public pressure that a lot of like European teams typically have, mm-hmm. like a Pan or Olympiacos, because now you do have the freedom to you know be more or cater more to the players, and you don't have to you know. 
you know how teams just just do things just because of public public perception or the the sponsors or whoever else has too much pull in the community is kind of trying to you know dictate things one way or the other. So I think it's, I think it's good for the players and the coaches. You know what I'm saying? Because you can kind of just be who you want to be and then you know relax and hopefully it works out from there. And, and I think I think the business model, it seems like moving forward, I don't know if, if the London Lions will really ever have the same pressure that a Pana, even if they're at the top of the EuroLeague, I think the way that things are just being set up here, I don't I don't think it'll ever get to that. Um, okay, so from a pressure so you standpoint, think, which I think is good. All right, so you think like let's say London Lions blow up, EuroLeague team, all that fan base grows, you think that fan base is gonna be more like an NBA fan base? Or will it ever get to like a like a Greek, you know, Greek Serbia, I, Turkish fan base? I'll, I'll let I'll let Sam. And, but for me, I think UK is is US culture, very close to US culture, and I think that it will be. A, I think it'll be an NBA fan base. Long story short, but I mean, look at the football fan base though. The UK football fan base is crazy. I think it's different, different because like a Manchester United has been around for what two hundred years. Like mm-hmm. like uh, uh, Chelsea has been. They're yeah. They're just they're literally like their roots are just embedded in British culture, and you know these people's great 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 grandfathers were diehard Liverpool fans. Like we're like a new wave, so I feel like even twenty years from now it'll be like basketball will still be relatively new compared to yeah. So I could see it almost being like um, I don't know I. I th- this is going to sound weird because they don't have like a rabid fan base, but they do get fans at games like like Brooklyn, like where yeah. it's like a, a fun experience to go to. It's almost a show, uh, but with a good product that, you know, the front office in the, the locker room cares deeply about winning. But it'll never be like this fan base that is, you know, in the stands, like literally punching a fan from. But you know the Cheshire Phoenix fan. I don't know. But I think, but I think that's every. I think that's ninety eight percent of sports teams. Our fans are like that. Like if you look around the Euroleague, FS fans aren't really like that. Like I mean, FS. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, now they're good, so I guess they're louder. But FS fans, Monaco, Asvel, uh, Alba Berlin, like those fans aren't like that. Like they're not. They're not like Pana, and they're not like Olympiacos fans and Partizan. Uh- but I feel like every country got one team that has those fans. Who, who's you know that, what I mean? Who's that team in Germany? Munich? No. For football, at least. No, for basketball. Yo, uh, for basketball. Football, um, like football's different. I mean, I, I felt like Würzburg had a great environment. I don't, yeah. I don't think that it wasn't like hectic to the point where you was just like scared, like, at, like not scared, but you know, just looking over your shoulder, like, like partisan, a, like at a partisan game. But I'm saying, like they, they were active. They were active. They was, they had energy. Like you came in there, it looked like a tough place to. And and two, I think the BBL has that. I think Leicester is kind of Leicester. If you had to pick a team right now, and I think that will only, only grow. But I think Leicester is that. Um, for the time being, I don't know if Sam would agree with that, but um, yeah, they have the history. Yeah. They're, they're the team that's won it every year, and you know they they traveled well to the BBL Cup that we just had, and um, but I think in terms of excitement and new crowd and energy, I think the Lions are going to be like that loud team with you know I think a young fan base that's like really ready to you know 
show their voice. Yeah. All you need to do is get a team with a tequila sponsor, start handing out free shots at halftime. It's going to turn up that season. <laughs> and then they got to keep we, it up. That's why I said we need like a halftime VIP lounge, like <laughs> like presented by some like gin company, some London gin company. Right. Handing hey, out not, co- cocktails at halftime. Our our Paris game goods was like the closest thing to like a, a staple. Obviously, it's not the staple center. It's not as many people. But like the the production, there was people, you know, there was people like Maya Jam- mm-hmm. Maya Jama in the crowd, like K Trap came to perform. It's the closest thing to uh, uh, that type of production at a basketball mm-hmm. game that I've seen in my time overseas, and it wasn't like not even close. It was impressive. It, it was it was impressive, especially to just to you know pull together in a full in a first season. So I think that will that will only grow, man. But let's talk a little bit about your game overseas, man. Like uh, I think for those that don't know. Uh, you spent time with James Harden in Houston, uh, Dwight Howard in Houston. You've played with some with some big names, man. Spent some time in L.A. Um, and I, everybody does know that playing with guys like that, you don't really get to go in your full bag. You don't get to show what you can do necessarily. You're kind of a get-to-the-corner, play-defense uh, type of guy. So how has your game grown um, since being overseas, especially in this London Lions situation, as you mentioned? You know, Coach Ryan Schmidt and uh, Brett want, and Brett Berman wanted you to get more in your bag here. Yeah, that that's like the craziest thing about the NBA, right, is it's the best league in the world, but some guys kind of forget how to play ball um, because it's usually one – it's very heliocentric basketball, right? So one guy or like one and a half guys has the ball Schoolwork. a lot of the time. I okay. I mean, th- think of like – it's like the class like, – you know, like Luca, like he's got the ball. You know, um, James, when I was in Houston, had the ball. Like it's a very – we go around this guy – and we kind of fall into place. So, you know, I wasn't getting the ball at the end of the shot clock, expected to make a move. Um, in in the summers, I would work with my dad and my boy Gunner, and, like, I would almost laugh. I'm like, I don't use this stuff, though. But, like, you have to keep, like, your tools sharp. You never know when you're going to be able to, like, go out and use it. And um, going overseas, you are kind of put in a box as well, but I, you know, slowly started to, like, all right, let me kind of try to unleash this a little bit, you know, here and there, here and there. And then it's just about finding an opportunity that you can show it. Um, two years ago in Turk Telecom, um, I, we had a very kind of like players first, you know, kind of mentality and uh, was finally at the three teams overseas were playing me like four and five. And it's like, because I'm tall. That's what it is. Oh, you're six, nine. Like you're just going to be the four and screen and roll five. and shoot, shoot corner three. Sometimes if we went small, I was boxing out the fives and yeah rolling and stuff and like that's just not who I am and finally I found a coach in Turkey that was like you can play the three bring the ball up whatever and that just like untapped so much for me I'm like oh my gosh I'm back into this you know world in space and getting switches and just like going to work um and you know that's what got me back getting signed to Toronto you know just being able to show more of my game and then even though I got cut you know halfway or 15 games into last season by the by the Raptors you know I'm still with that team from July till November and just being in that circle and like back in the player development and using my game and being a guard again like you get so much better just playing ones against other good pros and two on two and just like knowing you still have that it's like oh my gosh I'm just adding every day and now in this role where I'm bringing the ball up again and now I'm back to just like now I'm mindless. Now it's like, this is who I am. 
I'm getting two feet in the paint. I don't care what you throw at me. My confidence is so high right now, and I'm just not thinking about a damn thing. To the point, like, my dad called me the other day, and he was like, finally, the stuff we always joked about in the summers, like, you're doing it. And you're back to, like, looking like the Sam that he knows. And uh, he's like, it's just a joy to watch. Like, that's all he said. That's all he had to say. And um, it's true. It's, it's a joy to play, just to feel like I can just go and just, you know, show my whole bag. Um, I don't mean to be long-winded here, but that's just, it's, it's a joy. And it's really fun to just be able to be yourself. And when you're in a position like that in basketball, it's, it's so freeing. I mean, you you the guest, so you can be as long-winded as you want, man. That's why you're here. But, yeah, I can imagine it's been fun to watch, um, you know, as your teammate too, and obviously from afar, you know, at the beginning of this season. So do you think that playing the 4-5 and doing those things, do you, do you think that that helped you in any type of way? Do you think that helped your game in any way? Uh, a little bit. I mean, just, uh, you know, I kind of played the 4 in Houston, but that was like we were playing positionless run-and-gun. I was still shooting threes, you know, sprinting up the floor. Um, in L.A., I was a little more traditional four. Um, yeah, I mean, it helped in ways I could get more switches. I was getting, you know, more one-four switches getting in the post. So I was able to add that kind of post presence back into my game that I kind of got away from in the league because you're not really posting as a wing. So I think I definitely got more comfortable being, you know, in the post and, you know, being in traffic in the lane. But, um Still, just my game opens up so much more when I can use my length and my size and my ball handling ability. I don't think I think I'm half the player I am when I'm just playing off ball and setting screens and picking pops. Like that's just I, I just think that's just putting a, a handicap on me. So I think uh, learning those positions at the four helps me now as a guard. If we have you know Tomislav Zubcic like an elite pick and pop four now. Like, I can get into his brain being like, okay, where does he want it? Where does he, you know, where is he going to thrive? How can we get this switch for him? Um, so learning multiple positions helps you um, from a facilitatory uh, aspect, and that's helped my game a little bit. All right, so now you're on, the, you're on the second half of your career. If you had to play the second half of your career, you know, with this confidence, being able to bring the ball up the court, et cetera, et cetera, or being, being in the league, reserve minutes but getting paid double what are you choosing oh, it's a, I mean that's a really good question I think that's something we always wrestle with in our minds right um, getting paid double is nice but it, it, it also at the same time it's like are you getting out the fulfillment from your job and from the sport that you love um, you know we still get paid well over here mm-hmm. so I'm not um, complaining at all about that and I think this year has really reinforced like my joy in, in hoop um, not to say I wasn't enjoying last year I had a great time like I've, I've always loved the game um, but here in this situation particularly like just like I'm excited to go to practice which is weird you know I'm excited to I don't get anxious for stuff I just know that like I've put in so much work now I can just do it um, so I think there's something to that about being, you know, loving what you do where you are. And um, so, yeah, I, I think being able to show and, and, and compete now in the second half of my career, like you said, I have a long ways to go. But um, as long as you can keep playing at a high level like that, like you love chasing that feeling. So I think to answer your question, like 
I would, uh, if I can continue to, to find that feeling, I would be fine being over here. Right. Because I think, like, looking back on a on a basketball career, especially more so in the second half, I think it's a, it's much more valuable enjoying what you're doing. Like, after your career, you're going to find ways to make money. You know what I mean? Money is obviously dope, but, like, you know, at this point, you know, everybody's getting paid, you know, well, and, you know I mean, you're able to, to, to live and all that other stuff. But I think that looking back on that basketball career, because it is going to expire, you know what I mean? You want to look back and, you know, feel like, okay, I did something. Like, I, I had a 40-point game, you know, at 35. Like, you know, I did this. You know, these things are the things you're going to think about because, you know, you're going to have another job that's going to bring you money. You're not going to have another job that's going to bring you 40-point games and 30-point games at this type of level. I, th- I think that that type of stuff bleeds into your life after basketball, too. Like, not even – I think that that gives you kind of like the – while you're doing it, but then after it's kind of like you kind of have just this this vibe, this bounce about you when you have, when you can do those things all the way and enjoy basketball rather than just sitting on the bench and kind of leaving with the sour feelings. That's, that's a great point too. Like we do off the court stuff. You know, I do. I host a podcast. Obviously, I'm on on a lot of other people's podcasts, and or if I go to a dinner with some um, group of people in a position of power, like the confidence I have. And, like, almost the swag about, like, you know, it's easier to talk hoops when you feel like you're good at hoops. Yeah. You know, when you feel like, like yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been doing my thing, then you go on a show and it's like, yeah, you have no problem, like, talking about it and being um, excited about it. When I'm sitting on the bench in Toronto, like, getting DNP after DNP after DNP, it's like, do I want to tweet this? I mean, like, people are going to be like, I'm getting the gym bum, you know, like, the, you know what I mean? So it's like, it, it all bleeds into your life. So it's a good point, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it's all good stuff, man. But let's jump inside the L, man, real quick. Trade deadline just hit. Obviously, it's big news. Everybody watched it. I think the NBA has the best trade deadline in the world. I don't know how many trade deadlines there are, but for sure the NBA has has the best, man. So both of y'all just weigh in real quick. Who's your biggest winners? What team? Which team uh, got the most return? And who's? What was your favorite trade? Who's going to be the most fun to watch? What team got the biggest return? I mean, I think that's very obvious. Is Phoenix Suns? These trades don't happen. You don't. Is that obvious? Top fifth, top fifteen players of all time. You remember those trades when guys like that get moved. So it's 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 groundbreaking when you can acquire a guy like that. I don't care who you gave up. Guys like that don't get traded, like midseason at the deadline. So I think that's I, I, like he's easy money, man. Like that's there's no one like him, and he's also a guy that is okay with playing with other people. You saw him do it in Golden State. You saw him do it in Brooklyn. He wanted to make it work with Beard. He wanted to make it work with Kyrie. It didn't. But we've seen him make it work. He loves to hoop. Now he's with CP. Now he's with Book. He can catch his breath at times and then still go his 12 or 15 or whatever he does every night. I mean, it almost doesn't matter who you have around him. So, so, that, so that's your point. favorite? That's your championship favorite now? No, you said the Bucks. My championship favorite, no, but that's my favorite okay. in terms of what you can get at the deadline. Okay. Um I think the two matchups I see happening, I think it's Phoenix Milwaukee or which would be a great rematch or Phoenix Boston. Okay. 
Goods, who, who who you like, man? Biggest winners, favorite trade? Yeah, I think I, I mean I think it's Phoenix. Um, you know, I, I think you know getting KD and kind of like Sam said, you know, KD's kind of been in this situation playing alongside other stars, having to fit inside of a system that was already there. Um, you know, but uh, I'm interested to see how the the Luca Kyrie situation works out over there. Um, I don't think it. I think that one might take a little more time. You know what I mean? And I just don't think that they're, they're as complete of, of a team. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, I'm interested to see how, how both of those situations work out. Because I, I see like the the Luca Luca Kyrie dynamic kind of like when when CP came to 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 James Harden and the Rockets. You know what I'm saying? You got you got two guys that obviously are used to having the ball in their hands and everybody's wondering how they're going to share it. And I felt like, you know, James and them, you know, started to figure it out. But, um, yeah, I'm really interested to see how, you know, the West is going to shake out now, man. And I think it's super dope that we got some really, really good teams in the East and some really, really good teams in the West because, as y'all remember, there was, a, there was a while where it was almost like, you know, the East just had like one or two and then the West was just stacked, you know what I mean? Yeah. So this is going to be exciting. Yeah. I, you know, I hear y'all. I think that the Suns are going to be fun to track. I do think that the Lakers were the biggest winners. In terms of trade value, I think you get a guy in D'Angelo Russell who's a perfect fit with LeBron. That's the type of guard. Let's, I mean, obviously LeBron came out that How is he a perfect today. fit? Because that's the type of guard that LeBron has been successful with throughout his career. A scoring guard, off-ball guard, Mo Williams, Kyrie Irving type of guard. I'm not saying he's Kyrie Irving. But that's the type of guard that LeBron has thrived with in his career. That's just – it. it is what it is. And you add Anthony Davis, and you add a shooter in Malik Beasley, and you add just a guy who's going to go get it in Jared Vanderbilt, and then a big who can knock down shots, protect the rim, Mo Bamba. And on top of that, you still have the chance to go retool in the offseason. As far as, like, the near term, yeah, okay, Kevin Durant going to the Phoenix Suns. They're instant title contenders. But Kevin Durant is still, what, 34 years old? coming off an Achilles so the the Phoenix Suns again their championship window is now two years so if they don't win and their depth is not great they gave up a lot of depth they gave up a lot of first round picks so if they don't win in the next two years which I'm not so sold and I don't think you guys are either that they win this year where does that leave the Suns with the 38 year old Chris Paul or 40 year old Chris Paul and a 36 year old Kevin Durant you got cap space Phoenix isn't a place that I mean guys typically go in free agency obviously that could change with book there but where do you go after that? Yeah. Well, it's called, it's called new owner syndrome. I think his name's Matt yeah. Ishbia. He just yeah. took over last Ashiba, week. Ashiba, you yeah. have to make a splash early. You, ha- you have to make a splash. You can't just say, oh, we went out and we made it work with Jay Crowder. Come on back, Jay. Like, you have to make your mark as a new owner. Hey, I'm all in. Yeah. You're making Phoenix be like, this guy's for us. Holy, we got, we got Kevin Durant coming. But, like... You have to do that if you are in that position as a new owner. You have to make a move early like that. So I think that's where that move came into play. And then, like, in the flip side of that trade with Brooklyn, I just think they just needed a complete culture reset. I don't think this was about KD. I think this was, you know, the Kyrie stuff and KD last summer and then James Harden. Like, all the promises that didn't go through, I just think they had such a good culture with that team with D'Lo and Theo Pinson, like that was a fun team they had with Dinwiddie a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. They brought these guys in, culture changed, and 
I think they're now like let's 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 try to you know recoup that that chemistry we had and that that old culture. So I think um, and then getting guys in that Phoenix deal uh, like legit pieces. I think overall this will be I think good for both sides and you know, I think maybe more for Brooklyn in the long run. But if you can win a title and make your title window, um, even if it's just a year and a half of like, hey, we have a shot here. I think you got to do it as a new owner. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with the owner sentiment, but I don't think that necessarily makes you the biggest winner of the trade deadline. But I, I do agree. I do agree with Fair. that. With yeah. that. With that point. But um, Goods mentioned the CP trade to Houston. For those that don't know, you were a part of that trade. Uh, went to Los Angeles. So I guess just touch on, man. What, what was the feeling like going from? Houston, who had been a title contender, you got to play, you got, you got as a young player, got to go deep playoff runs. You're playing with James Harden. To L.A., who at the time was kind of, I'd say maybe similar to like that Brooklyn with D'Angelo Russell type situation. They were retooling. But, yeah. you, but you guys had some pieces. Yeah. I think Tobias was there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so but We still had Blake. We had DeAndre. We had Blake, yeah. DeAndre. Um, so you still had a good team, but what did it – was there excitement going to L.A.? Did the sales kind of come out leaving the Houston situation? Or what, what was that like being a part of that trade? It was tough. It, it was hard. You know, the first time getting traded is always the weirdest. Um, I was at the facility mid-lift, and my phone started blowing up. And um, went on Twitter, saw that I had been traded for Chris Paul with Lou and Montrez and uh, – Man, it was what five guys, five of us going. Pat, yeah. So it was it was like our whole second unit getting traded to L.A. for Chris, and so I go up and talk to our GM, and um, I just didn't know what I'm like. What's next? They're like, just go home. You're gonna get a call from L.A. and you know, piece by piece, they're gonna you know figure it out. Um, So you fly out there, and um, you know that's the thing about trades. Like trade deadline moves is crazy, right? Because like. These guys have more than just basketball. You know, they have families and kids and dogs and houses and stu- cars. It's like there's so much. That, that could be a whole other podcast like, that goes into a trade. But, um, you know, being part of that first trade, especially, you know, for a guy like Chris Paul, like I get it from the business aspect. Um, in terms of my career, it just kind of started a domino of like one trade after another, after another, after another uh, that kind of stunted my future in the NBA but I think the way I handled it was as good as I could um you know still found ways to be in rotations and and get on the court it's just I got labeled as a guy like why didn't he not stick with one team um but um you know being part of that first trade that's it's anxious moments you want to prove yourself like right away um but it's just like you know if it's not in the plans it's not in the plans but the trade deadline anxiety is something I do not miss because that is a that is a dog of a day. <laughs> yeah, what's what's it what's it like restarting? Um, you know, once you get to that, once you get to a new team, what what are the difficulties mm-hmm. with that? I think it's funny because you go from when I was in Houston, we had D'Antonio, we had this run and gun system. Um, I had I knew my role in the second unit. I could I could walk up from the bench. I could see you know I know what time coach is going to turn around and point at me to go in like he didn't even have to tell me I knew at you know four minutes left in the first quarter I get up I take my warm-up off I walk to the scores table six minutes left in the second quarter I'm coming to the bench like I knew exactly every game 
what I was going to do. And now it's like, okay, new routine, new staff, um, trying to prove yourself to a new head coach, a new assistant staff. You get in there for your workouts and you're like, okay, you know, who's my guy here? What's your name? I, you know, like just learning these little things that, you know, make the game a little harder because you're like, I just want to prove, I want to show, I, I want to have a really good workout today so he can go to Doc Rivers and be like, you know, Sam, you know Sam's like, you know, he, he could he could really help us, you know. Um, so that restart every year was really tough for me. I'm in year eight and I've had 11 head coaches. It's like I always have felt like I'm trying to prove myself to a new staff. Um, and I think that's what makes me a little... Um, as Jordan knows, like I'm, I'm very, when it comes to basketball, I'm very like uh, particular about certain things because I just I, I want to prove. I don't want to waste time. I want to be able to show who I am, and um, I think that comes from kind of being anxious from getting traded a lot and switching staffs and learning new things. So that restarts hard, especially for a young player, and it helped going to LA with like a guy like Pat Beverly and Lou Williams and some vets that. I've been through it before, and those guys were really my crutch for that year. Is there a, is there a difference in like um, in psychology from the from the organization? Because obviously in Houston, you're their first round pick, when you, so they're invested in you, right? When you go to LA, you know you're part of a trade, and is there a difference in the way they look at you? Because like I said, you're yeah. not their first round pick, and what is that difference? Mm-hmm. If so, yeah, it's it's so different because I didn't have you know you don't grow that that bond that mesh you don't have you know Lawrence Frank didn't draft me Doc Rivers didn't draft me so they don't have that um I want to be right about him mentality you know Daryl Morey wanted to be right about me in Houston so uh, let's keep you know seeing how Sam's doing or let me keep checking in on Sam and see how health is he healthy whatever um so that is a little different um Doc isn't one to really play favorites Uh, I think he's pretty good about uh, he knows what's going to help his teams win and lose. Um, he's very cut and dry about things, which was hard at times. But um, I think definitely, yeah, not being there from day one, coming in, but still coming in as a young guy, uh, kind of puts you behind the eight ball a little bit. And um, again, like hits back on like you just you have to like do anything in your power to try to prove it day in and day out. And um Luckily, we had a weird year that year that almost forced me to play because there was times I knew Doc didn't want to play me because um, I wasn't playing that well. And, um, you know, thankfully there was a bunch of stuff that was happening that year that got me on the court and got me back comfortable in his system. But uh, my head was swimming a lot those years, that year, and um, I wish I could go back and almost redo it because there's a lot of things that I didn't think I handled properly and that now as a more seasoned pro, I think I could do way better. If you could, if you could hop in the DeLorean right now and go back to that, go back to that trade, being on kind of like obviously Chris Paul's the headline in that trade. What advice would you give to yourself on how to on how you said you handled as good as you could have, but what would you do differently? Like what would you tell, say, a Cam Johnson right now who's on the other side of the Kevin Durant trade mm-hmm. and going to a place where you know his names might not be mentioned as much for the next couple of years? Um. Stand out, don't fit in. Um, I was worried about, you know how I am. Um, you know, I wanted to not step on anyone's toes, and I wanted to be wanted to be liked. Um, it didn't mean that I didn't want to, like, be on the court and show who I am. It was just like, you know, I, go be assertive. 
like go go piss some people off, uh, especially early when you get there. Make them make them feel you. Make them know that you're in the gym. Um, and I think that was something that I was. I think I was so shell shocked about the trade and and not hadn't been through that before that I was kind of like uh, second guessing, just like okay, how, how do I go about this or how do I um, how do I make them like me or how do I make them uh, understand that I'm, I'm doing my best instead of just like going out there and being an MFer and like just like I'm not here to make friends and I, the way you make friends is get earning respect on the court and going out there and not being afraid of, of conflict not being afraid of um, you know doing the dirty things the little things and um, yeah that's one thing I would definitely say is just like don't fit in and don't be afraid to stand out in whatever way you can. Before we move on real quick, this is a random question, but since you since you did play with James Harden, what similarities do you see between James Harden and Luca, if any? Well, that word that you loved, the heliocentric offense. Listen, I man, think he listen, plays. Let me, let me stop you right there. Let me stop. In, in honor of Black History Month, no, actually, that ain't got nothing to do with it. I just wanted to throw. It, I just wanted to make. But no, heli, heli, heliocentric does not belong. In basketball, conversation. No, well, that's like the nah, biggest. It, that it comes. It comes does. with the. It comes with the Badger Bachelor degree. You know what I mean? You know, you, 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 <laughs> you get I, like you get like five big boy. words you can take with you to boy. like any country. You know what I'm saying? You can use it in any setting. Boy, like, you went to Stanford. You, you never. You went to Stanford. You never. <laughs> you never hear that. You, you 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 never hear that in basketball terms. Like yeah. like where like no, I think Luca's usage rate. Luca's usage rate is like thirty nine. Yeah, I've heard it. I think James is James is when I, his, my second year was his like I think his best year. He was at like thirty seven percent or something like. Yeah, I've heard. Um, so I see the similarities is I, I see them as guys that are able to literally create an offense and an efficient offense with sometimes just the ball in their hands, and that's. People complain about it, but also people don't realize how hard that yeah, is. Thanks. Like, you have a whole team loaded up against you, and you're still making it work. You, and when James was out of game sometimes, we could not score the ball. There was times. And then he comes back in, and everything's working again. So that's similarities not, I see. Not, not, I, not, only, see not only to put up numbers, but to win doing that is, yeah. is extremely difficult. Um, yeah. I, think there's I mean, Luca last year got – yeah, got so. to the Western Conference Finals last year. James went to back-to-back Western Conference Finals. We won 59 games my second year. Like, James was leading us to wins. And I also think they're both really, really, really good passers and willing passers. Um, yeah, they, they get a lot of field goal attempts up, but they have the ball so much. They, I think it slips through the cracks how good of passers they are. I think less this year as James is leading the league, but um, – the, the the passing that they can make and get guys in position to score and score easy baskets is a, a rare quality that those two do at an exceptionally high level. All right. We'll leave it at that. Let's jump into basketball culture, man, real quick. Quick question for both of y'all. Obviously discussing trade deadline today. Should the Euro League or the Euro Cup or any domestic leagues uh, institute a trade deadline? Or, I mean, we all, uh, some have all-star games, Euro League sh- needs an all-star game so we'll just leave it at that should any domestic leagues euro cup or euro league institute a trade deadline or trade i mean they have like a trans they have like a trade uh transfer deadline 
where you can't uh, – I don't think you're allowed to, like, sign any players. But I think it's late, though. It's, like, in May or mm-hmm. early – first week of May or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, – I don't know. It's tough. Like Europe's just a different beast, man. You know what I mean? It's it's. To, I mean, there's not really trades happening in Europe. You know, it's more so guys getting cut or leaving, and you know, moving to another team. Other leagues finish before others. I think you kind of have to have it open. You know, in regards to the to the deadline. I. I think, I don't think you could have a trade deadline in European basketball um, just as a whole you could have a trade deadline or like transaction pool in EuroLeague because EuroLeague it's bigger cities with better infrastructure better organizations with more money that can facilitate a Kevin Pangos I don't know and his wife and kids like Okay, they can help get them all from Milan to, I don't know, Madrid for whatever play. And I think doing that, in, if you just open it up to all Europe, there's guys in um, Re- Saratov, Russia, like, they, like that couldn't happen. Like, it's harder to make things work with these smaller cities, these smaller organizations. But I think if you open it up to EuroLeague and it was able to have like a really detailed approach to it, I think trades could become a thing and I think it would actually be kind of fun because you know there's guys that you know you know there's coaches and GMs that want to get off guys that's in every that's, that's everywhere so I think it'd be kind of interesting to see because some crazy place some crazy team with some GM or owner would like trade their star player just randomly and then you know it would happen and it'd be like oh he was a bad teammate and then Twitter <laughs> would blow up so I think that'd be hilarious <laughs> Go ahead. Think about like think about like as we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. Just think about the public pressure like with each trade. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that would be that, that would be, be so nuts. funny. Oh yeah, it would be funny. It'd definitely be more entertaining. It'd definitely be more entertaining. But I think it would get uh it would get kind of crazy, especially because you know the budgets aren't really regulated like that. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, you, know, you got the haves and have nots. You couldn't trade like a guy making whatever. Seven figures at uh, Pana and sending him to Zagreb, who couldn't afford that. It just, right. I, I, you know, that, I guess, but I guess it's like that in some other sports in the States. So I, it would be hard. I know buyouts are a thing, but um, I think that'd be chaos, Jordan. I really think that'd be chaos. Would, I, th- I think you could do it in the BBL. Maybe not right now today, but I think you could do it in the, like, in a closed league, like, domestically. Like in the BBL, I think Australia could do it for sure. Australia for sure mm-hmm. could do it. Australia for sure could do it. I think where the BBL is going, British Basketball League, I think you could do it. You think so? No. Yeah, yeah, they could. I just think now it's a little uneven with um, budgets from across the league. But yeah. um, I think to where they're going, yes, um, maybe interdomestically you could do it with. Mm-hmm. Maybe ACB could do it, maybe Turkey, but I don't know if you could do it across. That's that's what it should be. Interdomestically, you can do trades. That would yeah. be fire. That, that's that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, ACB can trade guys within ACB or EuroLeague yeah. within EuroLeague, but not yet. Yeah, it would be difficult to trade a guy from Tenerife or whatever, Gran Canaria, to, like you said, Saratov. Like, okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's OD. But, but it would make sense if you did, like, a Trento to Brindisi. Right, right. That'd be cool. 
I'm for it. Let's do it. <laughs> and get on that. <laughs> nah, it would be dope, man. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how it would change how it would change the game. But, you know, to wrap up, we got a paycheck, rain check. Somebody's paycheck is uh, taking a rain check. And uh, this this week's episode, I'm going to I'm going to highlight James Jones, man, for uh, for landing that big trade that uh, that we spoke about earlier with Phoenix forming that super team down in Phoenix in the uh, 2020-2021 season. He was the executive of the year uh, in the NBA. And, um, you know, the question from this is, is his success paving the way for former pros uh, in the front office? He's only 42 mm. years old. Yeah, I, I love seeing a, a, a young former player being able to make big moves and not being afraid to make big moves. I think um, you've seen the you've seen great examples. You know, uh, say what you want about you know guys as a, as people, but like you know, Danny Ainge got in the game at a young age. Was you know, I think he's one of the most active guys, uh, former players, in making trades and making moves. Um, and and I think you see, um, I think role players make really good coaches and executives. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where, like, Michael Jordan struggles is, like, the game was so easy for him. And I think he expects, oh, why can't he do that? It's like, because he's not you. And I think when you have, like, uh, on the coaching side, like a guy like Ty Lue, he was a ninth guy on a bench, eighth guy on a bench. He can talk to his bench, and he can talk to his stars the same way. Um, so I think to your point, um, I think this paves a way for, yeah, more young players and, and retiring players that want to get in the front office. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Udonis Haslam goes down a route like this. Um, guys that just, they know the ins and outs of an organization and how it works. UD might be doing it now. I was about but, to say uh, UD. But player GM. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think you have a good point there, and I think he's done a great job, and you know he's close with Chris Paul. He's got that... He's young enough to be able to have relationships with the players, but also old enough to have been through a lot in this in these in the basketball world. So um, can make uh, yeah good moves like this, and I think this is a splash for him. Yeah, and then you look at him, and then Landry being over in uh, Landry Fields getting a yeah, job over in the, at the Hawks. You know, what I mean, it's uh, I, I think that you know this could be you know a new trend, especially if they start having success and being able to keep superstars happy and and in that in the organization yeah if big if there i I think you made a valid point on uh role players being better i think we've talked about that before uh better coaches gms whatever however i think that do you think that it's easier for a superstar like a jason kidd because jason kidd now is i mean if we're being for real he's i'm not going to say he developed luca but he did he did put together that that the model in Milwaukee for Giannis um and now he's obviously coaching Luka and has the Mavs thriving do you think it's easier for a superstar to kind of get that greatness out of people and take it to the you know what I'm saying from individuals because I do think if you pair like a Michael Jordan with a Luka then or Jason Kidd with a Luka Giannis whatever then I think both sides thrive um but do you think it's more about them bringing that greatness out or are those guys just great and they're fortunate to have them I think it's um, about like I know I know from from people I know 
Like, Jason Kidd, early on as a head coach, I heard it wasn't fun. It wasn't good mm-hmm. because Jason in his head was still the star player. He's a Hall of Fame point guard. Everybody knows that. But sometimes you have to put your pride to the side and realize you're not playing anymore. And I think towards the end of his regime in Milwaukee, I think he kind of turned that corner to where like he's like, I am a coach and I am just a coach. Um, and now you see that in Dallas after he got, you know, he's in L.A. doing the assistant thing. And I think, I think that was good for him as a coach is to now where he's in Dallas and he can impart the wisdom as a Hall of Fame point guard to a guy like Luca and now Kyrie, but also be like, hey, I have to step back and disconnect myself a little bit from the guys and realize I'm a coach and I still have to coach X's and O's and coach my bench, um, coach 1 through 15. Um, I think if you have a really good balance, I think then those star guys are just as unique as it is as a coach. Um, but in in response to your question, I have a question. So how does it differ from Jay Kidd to Steve Nash? Both completely different leadership styles. Where did it go wrong for each of each have had really highs as coach and really really low lows as coach? So I, I I think just what you said. I think if Steve Nash needs Steve Nash just came from I mean not straight from playing but essentially from playing from the streets yeah. to coach. Whereas I think he needs everybody needs reps, man. Like. You be a great player. You need reps as a coach. You need experience and all that. So, like you said, Jason Kidd wasn't great right away, and I think he's much better now. And I think you know, I think you kind of even heard the rumblings when he got the Dallas job. It was like, oh, Jay Kidd's, you know, this that. And now it's like, mm-hmm. look at the job he's doing um, with that group. I mean, obviously they're not amazing, but they're. I think he's doing a great job coaching. So I think, I think it's just reps. I think if Jay, if Steve Nash, you know, goes on gets on a bet somewhere, but he, where is he at right now? I'm, is he somewhere? Nash. No, he's no He's chilling. He's chilling. So, if he were to be he watching London Lion, he watching London Lion games. Facts. You know what I mean? He, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Pull up. You know what I'm so if yeah, come get all staff, man. But so if he, uh, yeah, if he gets that experience and then goes back, I think you'll see a completely different experience. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think I think as a coach, you know, kind of like as a player, you got to find your identity. You know what I mean? And it takes time. You know, and you got to find your identity. More importantly, you got to find your voice. So, uh, and that, and that, I feel like it's very tough to do in the league. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like as you were, where you're a player, you just get traded, you hop on a team, and you've had this resume, and everybody just respects you like that. Like you're in a different seat. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a lot tougher from the outside looking in. But you know, what I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Steve Nash at the head of a bench again soon. Yeah, well, we'll look forward to it, man. But until then, that is all we got for you, Mr. Decker. We appreciate you joining us again uh, the second time on the Role Player Podcast, first time since it's been on Swish. We appreciate y'all checking us out again. Go check us out on YouTube at Swish Cultures and also the Swish Cultures IG page, which is at Swish Cultures. Also, you can check us out on IG and Twitter at the Role Player Media. Sam, we hope to have you on again. I am Jordan Taylor. That is a stand for Gentleman Anthony Goods, and we'll catch you all next time.